Um, this morning, um, we're going to be talking about the truth of the matter. So we're going to be going to John chapter 3. We're going to head to the end of it. So that's John chapter 3, verses 31 through 36. And as you're getting there, I set up the context of what's happening. So Jesus is met at night by this man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was supposed to be one of the experts of the law. That meant that he would have known the Bible basically by memory. And yet he goes to Jesus and he says, I know that you have been touched by God. I know that you know God by what you do and what you say. But explain it to me because it doesn't make sense. And so Jesus walks him through it and tells him probably the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. If you get nothing else from this morning, get that. God sent Jesus for you. So if you'll stand with me, let's read together John chapter 3, verses 31 through 36. It says, The one who comes from above is above all, and the one who speaks from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms, but the one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For God sent him and he speaks God's words since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your truth and for your word that never, ever fails us. Thank you for being a God who will not lie to his people. Please open our ears, open our hearts this morning to what you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's take another look at verse 31. So here's what I want you to, want you to see here. Who are you listening to? This verse tells us that there's our, there are two kinds of people that we can listen to in the world. We have the one who comes from heaven, and we have someone who comes from earth. When you talk about things, right, we, we tend to talk about things that we're passionate about, the things that we know about. And when we meet people that don't actually know what they're talking about, we can usually spot them pretty easily, right? We can attest to that. So these two kinds of people, Jesus was not just a random person who was born and then started telling everybody he was the Son of God. No, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the Word, and he was here from before the foundations of the world. He's been here forever. He's God's Word, sent for us. So he talks about the things that he knows. He knows about heaven. He knows about God's plan. He knows about salvation. He knows how humanity actually is because he's been a part of it forever. But yet we can listen to people, people on TV. If you're like me, I listen to podcasts nearly all week long. We can listen to those people. We can listen to newscasters, uh, go to books newspapers. There are all sorts of media that we consume, the people that we listen to, but they're all from earth. They all fail us. They all have their own biases and opinions, and not one of them is absolutely right. There's always holes in it. 
There's always sin incorporated in it. But Jesus, it's not the case. Because he knows. He wasn't just a human who lived a perfect life. He was also God. He was a part of the creation. And he intimately wants that relationship with you. So he speaks of these things that he actually knows about, unlike us. We speak of things that we know of as Christians firsthand, not because of things that we know, but because we have a relationship with a person who actually knows. That's where it's got to start. And if you're not, even as a Christian, if you're not pursuing that relationship passionately, then anything you say is separated from the knowledge of God. You may have bits and pieces of it, but largely you're missing the point. That passion has to be there. So how do we listen to Jesus? How do we listen to God? How do we know what he even wants for our life? How do we know what his will is? Well, there's a few things that we can do, right? We can read our Bible. We believe that this book has no inconsistencies. God supernaturally gave us this book from 40 different authors over 1,500 years, and it's been preserved perfectly all that time. No other book like this has ever existed. God has given us this so that we can know him firsthand. We don't have to wait on some prophet to show up. We've got it all right here. Are you in it? Are you passionate about understanding it? What other things can we do? Well, we can be with spiritual people. We can have spiritual mentors in our life. The conference that Pastor Corey and Ms. Penny have gone to is the Timothy and Barnabas conference. If you know anything about the relationship between Timothy and the Apostle Paul, is Paul mentored Timothy. Paul knew God, knew God's word, and taught Timothy how to follow God. It wasn't about Paul. It was about who Paul served. We need to have those kinds of relationships in our lives. And then the role of prayer. This is something I've been tackling recently with some of our youth. And it's so important. We talk all the time about we need to be praying to God. The Bible even says pray continually to God, and we should. God cares about what we have to say. But there's two things I want to note. God already knows what you're going to pray about before you even say it. And does God have more valuable things to say to you than you have to say to God? We've got to be listening. We've got to be in the word. It's not a one-way communication from us to him. We've got to be listening. So how, do you, how you respond matters. Let's take a look at verses 32 and 33. Here it is. It says, He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. At first glance, when we read this, we're like, okay, so there's total inconsistency just right there. It says no one accepts it, but then it says that some do accept it. No. Most people are going to totally disregard God's message. That's why Jesus said, right, there's the narrow path and there's a broad path, and most people are going to take the wider road. 
Christianity is the low rest less traveled. Most people will disregard it, so don't be surprised when you're living out a passionate walk with Christ and you're going totally against the grain and people don't understand you. They're not going to get it. But it's the same Christ that we follow, that we affirm his words, that he existed before the foundations of the world. He's the beginning and the end. It's going to start and it's going to end with him. But most people would rather just trust in themselves. Trust in their own wisdom, go their own way, then place their trust in something else. They think that they know better. Even Christians, we'll take the parts that we like. We'll take the parts that we agree with. And we'll say, okay, so that's my code. That's my standard. That's my morality. But the fact of the matter is, we're supposed to be conforming to this book the way it is. Not the way that we want it to be. And that will put us against the grain. And so those who hear this message of Christ, who make him Lord, which means totally in control of every part of their lives, those, are, those people are saved. And we know, those who have accepted him as their Savior, that from personal experience, what he has to say is true. And here's the opposite end of that, though. Because we can't just take this and intellectually study it and know everything about it and separate it from everyday life. One of my heroes this year died. And then I found out just who he was. Ravi Zacharias, um, I followed him for a long time. I respected him greatly as an intellectual and as a Christian. And then we found out just the kind of character that he had. See, Ravi knew more about the Bible than I would say a lot of people alive today. And he was able to go toe-to-toe with any apologist from any other faith, religion, or line of thinking and be able to defend the Bible using his brain. But you know what, Ravi, we don't actually know if he's in heaven today because the Bible didn't change his life. Morally, he was corrupt. Where do you fall? You don't have to do the same kinds of bad things that Ravi did, right? Christ says that all sin is equal. All sin gets the same result. All sin leads to destruction. Are you fighting for your faith? Or is it just an intellectual pursuit that you study just to check off a box every morning? I dearly hope that Robbie did make it into heaven. But when we take the Bible to heart, and we internalize it, and we obey it, then we see the truth in its power. This is not some magic bullet that just solves all your problems. Every relationship takes work, and it's no different with God. You got to put the work into it. I had one person tell me when I was a teenager growing up that if I was struggling with doubt or with depression, then the only thing that I had to do to solve it was just open it. Not read it. They stressed that, actually. I didn't have to read it. It was like a magic book that I could just open, and there you go. All my problems would be fixed. The reality of the situation is God gave us words. We have to read them and know them and understand them. 
but we see superhero movies, and I love, 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 love superhero movies. In fact, we just finished the Marvel chronological marathon, me and Diego, Emiliano. That's like, what, 20 some odd movies over the last few weeks. Tons of fun. But one thing, the one common thread you find in all those movies is that there's always some magic solution that the hero has to find in order to solve or defeat the enemy somehow. The, the, the Christian life is not that way. See, Christ already died for our sins. There's the solution, but we've got to claim it, and then we have to make him Lord, which takes work. Because to make him Lord means we have to deny ourselves. And not just one time, but every single day. See, salvation comes once. And God's got you on his grip. But if you're really following him, that's going to be a daily fight against yourself. That comes first. This spiritual battle with darkness, yes, it's also outside. But for you, it's mostly within you're fighting your own flesh. So God loves us. He provides a way back for us from the brokenness of sin. He gives us the power that we need to fight that battle. And it's the only way that anyone actually grows and changes in life. We can fix circumstances. We can discipline. But ultimately, Christ has to change a heart for a life to change. It's a Jesus first philosophy. That's what the Bible gives us. And anything apart from that is extra. And we always have to measure it back against the Bible and think, is this right? Is this truth? And if it doesn't conform, the Bible tells us it's garbage. Let's look at verses 34 and 35. It says that Jesus was truly son of God and he spoke God's words. It says, for God sent him, and he speaks God's words, and since he gives the Spirit without measure, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. God sent Jesus to us for one purpose. It was all of you. He came for us, for mankind, and so God gave him everything. The Word, his Spirit, literally all things to accomplish his great rescue plan. He didn't have to do it. Everyone in this room deserves eternal death. The Bible's pretty clear on that one. None of us is more special than another, except for the fact that God sent Jesus so that he could take that punishment for you. And that should not just change your life in one emotional moment. That should change your life daily thinking about that, internalizing it, making it real, it's got to be deeper than your emotions. It's got to change the trajectory of your life. Everything about your life after that has to change. And if it becomes dull and sterile and cold, you need to reclaim that passion. This kind of passion that God has for you, his passion for you is not cold, his passion for you is not sterile. He pursues you daily and just desires that you do the same. And to reject Jesus is to reject the sovereign ruler 
of the universe, the creator of all things. Think about that for a moment. How scary is that thought? The dude in charge, you're going to tell him no? And this sovereign ruler of the universe who's created everything, including the planet we live on with 7 billion people who are currently alive right now, that he knows the name of every single individual and he cares about every single one and he knows what they're going through and he gave Jesus to die on a cross so that you and everyone else could live to take punishment for your sin. And when Jesus leads us in our life, we share in the love and the acceptance that he receives from God, right? The theological term for that is substitutionary atonement. We messed up. We are evil in our sins, but when God looks at us, he doesn't see us for the messed up, broken people that we are. He sees Jesus. He took our place for us, and God just desires that now that that gift has been given, that we pursue Christ with the same kind of passion and sacrifice that he pursues us. We share in the rewards from heaven. Sang about that some this morning. There ain't no grave. Could ever hold us down. He's loved us so much. There's going to be heaven waiting for us. A life and existence that's not going to be broken. It's not going to be marred by sin and death. But yet, it's going to have righteousness. And righteousness forever. But to reject that reject Christ is to hate love and it's to hate light Christ says that um, men don't pursue him because instead they love darkness and they love hiding the evil within they like their sin too much they like their life the way that they is the way that it is apart from God apart from his will apart from his plan apart from the way that he's designed us to live They say, I know better than him. You may be my maker, but I know better. I know what I was designed to do more than what you designed me for. And that's arrogance. But even as Christians, we can slip into that mindset if we're not careful, if we're not pursuing him the way that we should. Our next point. So considering that we've, got a choice to make we have to trust him or we have to reject him and every decision every moment we make falls back on that and you can literally look over your last week and think man where was i on that this week was i trusting him more than i was trusting myself was i choosing god more than i was choosing myself was i honoring god with my actions or was it really just all about me let's look at what the scripture has to say in verse 36. It says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life, and instead the wrath of God remains on him. You know that word wrath? The Apostle John, and I'm, I love the Apostle John, I'm biased. This is the only time he uses the word wrath in the Gospel and in all three letters that he wrote. The only other book that he used it in was Revelation, which in times, you know, God's wrath, that makes sense. So this, he was not using this word lightly. 
And similar to John 3.18, he's trying to paint us a picture here. There's no gray area with God. There's no gray area when it comes to what we choose when it comes to Jesus. Every person on the planet of the earth has to decide what to do with Jesus, and it carries an eternal weight. We are beings who are made for eternity. Not just the 70 or 80 years that we get here and then it's over. Every person's made for eternity. But we got to decide, because of our brokenness and because of what Jesus did, what eternity we want. We can choose ourselves now and get God's wrath forever. Or we can choose Jesus in this life get him and his righteousness and all the good things he wants to give us forever. God's rightful wrath on sinful man means that we all really do deserve eternal death and punishment for our rebellion, but Jesus came to fix the broken relationship, the one that we broke, not him, and bring us back to that eternity with God. So the new life in a believer doesn't just start once they die. He makes us a new creation now. That sanctification, that process of being more, be, being made more like him. That's got to be a daily thing, a daily fight, a daily struggle. It's kind of like this. When God sent Jesus, it's like we were in a pit. And he threw us a rope. And he said, climb up. You got to climb up. He's going to help you. He's going to pull that rope up, but you still got to grab onto it and do some climbing yourself. And that's not just a one-time thing, it's an everyday thing. It says we are a new creation now. He's changed that heart inside of us. He's made it more like him, and every day, as we climb up, we're being made more and more like him. And the opposite is also true, because a person doesn't have to die to be and go to hell and be under the wrath of God. Just look at John 3.18. Uh, we'll get to it in just a minute. But it says, the one who doesn't believe is condemned already. Already, right now. It's as if the verdict for their life has already been given. The sentence has just not been carried out yet. Why? Why has not the sentence come already? Because God is patient. God is loving. God is long-suffering. And he just wants you to repent. He just wants you to come back to him. He gives you every opportunity to make it right, to make him Lord. So what does trusting God look like then? Let's look at John uh, three fourteen through 21. It says, The Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who, judges in, anyone who believes in him is not judged, but anyone who does not believe is already judged, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids the light so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth 
comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. As you read through the entire chapter of John 3, you see that he is emphasizing a personal, real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Not sterile, not just intellectual understanding, but a warm, passionate, all-encompassing relationship. This relationship is living, and it begins when we become reborn into a new life in Jesus Christ and become adopted into God's family. It's a loving relationship when he becomes the centermost part of our life above all else. And our devotion to him requires that he must de- increase as we decrease. We've got to put the sinful parts of ourselves to death so that he can replace those parts with righteousness. And it's a learning relationship. He's constantly revealing God's truth to those who seek it. Becoming a Christ follower means daily we must read, hear, think about, and put into action his word. All of which is not natural or necessary to someone who does not have Christ as Lord of their life. As our band comes up, we mustn't forget the cost of these blessings. You know, Easter's coming up, and we're reminded of what he did. But the enormous cost, you know, sometimes as Christians, after a while, it becomes rote. After a while, if you're not careful, it just becomes another part. Not as important. Just a thing you do once a year. To but Christ's death and resurrection, it should be changing your everyday walk with God. Knowing what he did, knowing what you deserved, that he wanted to save you from. God's grace and mercy for us meant that Christ had to die a gruesome, physical, and the most gruesome death imaginable, really, because it wasn't just the cross. The Bible also says that he took the sins of all people, past, present, and future, upon himself. It requires to have salvation. You just got to believe, trust, and make him Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, those are saved for who speak the Lord's name and put it into action. Is he Lord? We can't fully relate to the suffering he endured, but we can live a life in service to him, inspired by what he did by our gratitude, by our humility. So let's bow our heads this morning. And if you're here and you haven't made Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the ultimate leader of your life, today's the day. Now's the time to do it. Don't wait. Don't put this off. Nothing else is more important than this. He's worthy of all glory and honor and respect. He came to rescue you from certain eternal death. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a believer, but it's just become, eh. And your relationship with him is is suffering because life is just getting in the way. Maybe you need to come. Maybe you need to rededicate your life and make it right with God and put your priorities back where they belong. Dear Father in heaven,
thank you for this Sunday morning that you've given us, just to reflect on your word, to reflect on your truth, and to look inward inside ourselves and see where we're lacking. You care for us and you love us deeply, and we praise you for that. God, you know everyone who is a part of our service today, whether here in person or on live stream, you know where their hearts are. And whether they come forward or they don't, I pray that lives and hearts would be changed. Not from me, but from you. In Jesus' name, amen.